Welcome to Boundaries Session 4. This is Susan Swart and this session is on boundary problems. And this series is based on Boundaries, the book by Cloud and Townsend. As we look at boundary problems in this session, what we're going to be talking about are compliance, avoidance, controllers, and non-responsives. So the first one uh, that we're going to be talking about is a compliant, a compliant person. This is someone who says yes to the bad. They're just being compliant, so they just say yes all the time. So here is an example. This is from Boundaries, page 51 and 52. It says, may I tell you something embarrassing, Robert asked me. A new client, Robert, was trying to understand why he had so much difficulty refusing his wife's constant demands. He was going broke trying to keep up with the Joneses. I was the only boy in my family, the youngest of four children. There was a strange double standard in my house involving physical fighting. Robert cleared his throat, struggling to continue. My sisters were three to seven years older than me. Until I was in sixth grade, they were a lot bigger and stronger. They would take advantage of their size and strength and wail on me until I was bruised. I mean, they really hurt me. The strangest part of all of it was that my, of my parents' attitude, they would tell us, Robert's a boy. Boys don't hit girls. It's bad manners. Bad manners? I was getting triple teamed and fighting back was bad manners. Robert stopped. His shame kept him from continuing, that he, but he had said enough. He had unearthed part of the reason for his conflicts with his wife. So Robert, in that story, uh, in that situation, what he had developed was boundary confusion because he, his boundaries were being uh, crossed all the time, yet he wasn't allowed to do anything about it. So as we look at this, one of the things that we see is that sometimes children, through their, the circumstances of their life growing up, have not been allowed to say no or to say I disagree or I will not do that or I choose not to stop that, that hurts, it's wrong, that's bad, or I don't like it when you touch me there. So those are some things that it's really okay for children to say, but they've been in a situation or taught that even though that may be, somebody might tell them it's okay to say that through their words, actions may say, no, it's not okay to say that. Or they've just flat out been told, no, it's not okay for you to tell me no or something like that. So continuing on on page 52 of Boundaries, it says blocking a child's ability to say no handicaps that child for life. The inability to say no to the bad is pervasive not only does it keep us from refusing evil in our lives, it often keeps us from even recognizing evil. Many compliant people realize too late that they are in a dangerous situation or an abusive relationship. Their spiritual and emotional radar is broken. So they really are, have issues, <clears throat> excuse me, issues with boundaries because um, they, their no muscle has been paralyzed. So wherever, whenever they need to protect themselves by saying no, that word just kind of catches in their throat. And this can happen for a number of reasons, and it's really all surrounding fear. It can be the fear of hurting the other person's feelings. It could be the fear of abandonment or separateness. 
which can lead to wanting to be totally dependent on another person because we're just afraid of being abandoned. Uh, the fear of someone else's anger, fear of punishment, fear of being shamed, fear of being seen as bad or selfish, fear of being unspiritual, fear of one's overstrict critical conscience, which is experienced as guilt. So they find themselves condemning themselves for things God does not condemn them for, and it can get very confusing. So they're condemning themselves, yet God never would never condemn them of that. And that that is that can be so challenging in our lives right there. So they're afraid to confront their unbiblical and critical internal parent and they tighten appropriate boundaries. So what I mean by that, so here mean by that internal parent as a, as children we had their parents there and they're telling us no don't do that or they you know we we've we have those records playing in our head and here we are as adults living out those same records still playing even though the parent might not be there right now that the but we do something and that self talk the the records that automatically play in our head the the things that we are telling ourselves really come from that critical internal parent that we have living in our head. So here's another commentary from Boundaries. This is on, from page 53. When we give in to guilty feelings, we are complying with a harsh conscience. <clears throat> this fear of disobeying the harsh conscience translates into an inability to confront others. And which means we're saying yes to the bad because it would cause more guilt. So compliance take on too many responsibilities and set too few boundaries, not by choice, but because they're afraid. So fear really is a driving force for the person who's compliant, which again is saying yes to the bad. The next one is an avoidant. This person says no to the good. There may be think good things in their lives, and they're saying no to those. So here's an example of that from Boundaries, page 54. The living room suddenly became very quiet. The Bible study group that had been meeting at the Craig's house for six months had suddenly become more intimate. Tonight, the five couples began to share real struggles in their lives, not just the usual, please pray for Aunt Sarah type of requests. Tears were shed and genuine support, uh, not just the well-meaning advice, was offered. Everyone except the hostess, Rachel Henderson, had had a turn talking. So Rachel had been the driving force behind the formation of this Bible study, and she and her husband Joe had developed the format, invited the other couples, and opened up their home to the study. But caught up in the leadership role, Rachel never really opened up about her own struggles. She shied away from such opportunities, preferring instead to help draw others out, and tonight the others were waiting. She cleared her throat, in looking around the room, she finally spoke, and after she said, after hearing all the other problems in the room, I think the Lord is speaking to me, and He is telling me that my issues are nothing compared to what you all deal with, and it would be selfish for me to take up your time with my struggles. So who would like dessert? So no one spoke, and there was disappointment evident on everyone's faces because Rachel had again avoided an opportunity for others to love her, as they had been loved by her. So that's an avoidance situation. She has a wonderful opportunity in front of her to share her life with others, but she's avoiding that. It's an inability to ask for help, 
to recognize one's own needs and to let others in. Avoidance uh, withdrawal when they are in need. They don't know how to ask for the support of others. So why are why is avoidance a boundary problem? Because that avoidant person a lot of times sees a boundary as a wall. And we have talked about the needs for gates in our boundaries. We need to let good things in. We need to let bad things out. So there need to be gates in that situation. And what are some of the reasons a person might do this kind of behavior? They might feel unworthy. They might not feel like everyone else is worthy, but they're not really worthy. And so why should they take up someone else's time? And there could be a lack of trust. And just because we have the opportunity to share, sometimes we may not need to share. So sometimes we do have to look at, can we trust these people? In this situation, she probably could have trusted those people. But there are times that no, it's best not to share with someone um, so sometimes we might be in a, a true avoidance situation and in another time that avoidant, avoiding may be because we, we really feel and we, or we may know I can't trust this person with my feelings. They would use that information against me. So those are okay. Uh, but we have to be careful that we're not avoiding the good. A question at this point, which we some people might not have ever thought about, is does God violate our boundaries? And the answer to that is no. Uh, in Revelation 3.20, we have an example of that where he says, or Jesus says, Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and eat with you, and you will eat with me. So that is an example of Jesus might be standing at the door, but he's never going to break the door down. The Holy Spirit will never break the door down. Uh, he will give us every opportunity to accept Him and to welcome Him into our life and into our situation, but He will never um, bust down the door. So that is our responsibility. God has given us a free will, but it's our responsibility to let Him in and to bring His healing and to bring His hope. So avoidance can see their God-given needs and legitimate wants as bad or destructive or shameful. There can actually be a combination of a compliant and an avoidant together. So they're compliant saying um, yes to the bad and no to the good. You could actually have that together. And so uh, from Boundaries, page 55, it says compliant avoidance suffer from what is called reversed boundaries. They have no boundaries where they need them, and they have boundaries where they shouldn't have them. The next one, number three, is a controller. Okay, so we've talked about a compliant, we've talked about an avoidant, and now we're going to talk about the controller. And the controller does not respect other people's boundaries. They just don't even realize that other people have boundaries. I've, I've had people tell me that, that they'd gone through this with me and didn't realize, uh, had never realized other people even had boundaries. And so that can be a controller. So on page 56 of Boundaries, it says, what do you mean you're quitting? You can't leave now. Steve looked across his desk at his administrative assistant. Frank had been working for Steve for several years and was finally fed up. He had given his all to the position, but Steve didn't know when to back off. Time after time, Steve would insist on Frank's spending unpaid time at the office on important projects. Frank had even switched his vacation schedule twice at Steve's insistence. 
but the final straw was when Steve began calling Frank at home. An occasional call at home, Frank could understand, but almost every day during dinner, the family, they would have to wait for Frank while he was on the phone with his boss. Several times, Frank had tried to talk with Steve about the time violations, but Steve never really understood how burned out Frank was. After all, he needed Frank. Frank's the one who made him look successful, and it was so easy to get Frank to work harder. So in this situation, Steve was a controller. He could not accept or hear other people's boundaries. So controllers do not respect other people's limits. And an interesting thing is that they take, they avoid, they resist taking control of their own lives. They want to control other people, but they want to control other people to control their own lives, to, to do the things that they need to be doing or responsible for. They want somebody else to be responsible for, the, for their lives, for the things going on in their lives. So these controller people can be perceived as bullies. They can, uh, they're manipulative. They can be aggressive. They're kind of like a bulldozer. I call the, them the bulldozer person. Um, so they can, um, the, prob- the primary problem of individuals who cannot hear no, as opposed to those who are unable to say no, is that they tend to project responsibility for their lives on others. And that's what Steve was doing. So there are two types of controllers. So within this one category, we've got two subcategories. And the first one under, the first kind of controller is the aggressive controller. This is the one that can be the tank. Uh, They can be verbally abusive. They can be physically abusive. They're usually unaware that other people even have boundaries. They try uh, try to get others to change. They want other people to change to make their life okay Um, and and to fit how they think life should be. So on From Boundaries on page 57, Peter, okay, we're talking Peter in the Bible, Peter the Rock, is an example of an aggressive controller. Jesus was telling the disciples about his upcoming suffering, death, and resurrection. Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. But Jesus rebuked Peter, saying, Get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. That was in Mark 8.33. Peter did not want to accept the Lord's boundaries, and Jesus immediately confronted Peter's violation of his boundaries. The next one, the next subcategory under controllers, first one being aggressive controllers. The second one is manipulative controllers. Manipulators try to persuade people out of their boundaries. They talk people into saying yes. They indirectly manipulate circumstances to get their way, and they manipulate people into carrying their burdens. In the Bible, Jacob was a manipulator. He tricked his brother into giving up his birthright. We see that in Genesis 25. With the help of his mom, he deceived his father into bestowing on him his brother's blessing. We see that in Genesis 27. And Jacob's name actually means deceiver. The event that helped Jacob work out his manipulative boundarylessness was his confrontation with God in human form, which we see in Genesis 32. That's where God wrestled with him all night long and changed his name to Israel, which means he who fights with God. So manipulators uh, deny their desire to control others. They brush aside their own self-centeredness. So they don't realize or they don't admit that they are manipulators. They just want to control the situation through that form. 
So they're like the adulterous woman in Proverbs uh, 3.20, which says she eats and wipes her mouth and says, I have done nothing wrong. So can compliance and avoiders be controllers? So we've got the compliance, the avoidance. Can those two actually be the third one? And the answer is yes. They tend to be more manipulative than aggressive. So controllers do a lot of damage to other people, but underneath they actually have their own boundary problem. They are undisciplined people. They have little ability to curb their impulses or desires. The only real remedy is to let controllers experience the consequences of their own irresponsibility, which can be hard. Controllers are isolated people uh, because people stay with them out of fear, guilt, or dependency. And if they're honest, controllers rarely feel loved. And why is that? It's because in their heart of hearts, they know that the only real reason people are spending time with them is because they're pulling the strings. If they stopped threatening or manipulating, they would be abandoned. So that's an underlying, usually unconscious thing that's going on with them. They don't even realize maybe that they're doing that. So we cannot terrorize or make others feel guilty and be loved by them at the same time. That's an interesting statement. Let me say that again. We can't terrorize or make others feel guilty and be loved by them at the same time. 1 John 4.18 says, Where God's love is, there is no fear. Because God's perfect love takes away fear. It is his punishment that makes a person fear, so his love is not made perfect in the one who has fear. So that's a verse that backs up that statement. The fourth category, so we're again reminding everybody, the first one was compliant, the second one was avoidant, third one was controllers, where we had the two categories. The fourth one we're going to look at is a non-responsive. These, the non-responsive person does not hear the needs of others. They just don't respond to that. So on page 59 of Boundaries, it says, Brenda's hand trembled as she talked. Usually I've got pretty thick skin with Mike, but I guess the last couple of weeks of kid problems and work stresses had me feeling very vulnerable. This time his response didn't make me angry. It just hurt, and it hurt bad. Brenda was recounting a recent marital struggle. Overall, she thought her marriage to Mike was a good one. He was a good provider, an active Christian, and a competent father. Yet the relationship allowed no room for her to have hurt feelings. The incident Brenda was discussing began in a fairly benign manner. She and Mike were talking in the bedroom after putting the kids to bed. Brenda began to unburden her fears about child rearing and her feeling of inadequacy at work. Without warning, Mike turned to her and said, well, if you don't like the way you feel, then change your feelings. You know, life's tough. So just, just handle it. Brenda was devastated. She felt she should have expected the rebuff. It wasn't that easy to express her neediness in the first place, and especially with Mike's uh, coldness. Now she felt as if he had chopped her feelings to bits. He seemed to have no understanding whatsoever of her struggles and didn't seem to want to. So now some of you may be going, okay, that doesn't sound like a, a boundary problem. That sounds like insensitivity. Um, so this gets to, into the issue of what we are responsible for and who we are responsible to. So as Brenda's husband, Mike is not responsible for her well-being, her emotional well-being, but he is responsible to her. 
and that would include connecting with her emotionally. So while he's not responsible for her happiness, he is responsible as her husband to connecting in, in an emotional way, uh, just because that's part of the covenant marriage and just loving your wife. So from Boundaries, page 60, it says, termed non-responsives because of their lack of attention to the responsibilities of love, these individuals exhibit the opposite of the pattern exhorted in Proverbs 3.27, which says, do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is within your power to do it. That last phrase, in your power, has to do with our resources and availability. Another key scripture here is, if it is possible so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all, Romans 12, 18. So both of these verses indicate the same idea. We are responsible to care about and help within certain limits others whom God has placed in our lives. So non-responsive, they fall into one of two categories. And the first category would be those with a critical spirit toward others' needs. Some people can just be critical. The second one is those who are so absorbed in their own desires and needs that they exclude others, which is a form of narcissism. Narcissism is really on a scale. Some may uh, be clinically diagnosed as a narcissist, and that's very, very, very few people. Very few people really fall into the clinical diagnosis of that. But there is a scale where in certain circumstances someone might exhibit some nar narcissistic behavior or be more narcissistic toward one person than another. So you can have controlling non-responsives and they have a hard time looking past themselves. So a controlling non-responsive. They see others as responsible for them and they are on the lookout for someone to take care of them. So it's, there's an old joke about relationships that says, what happens when a rescuing, enabling person meets a controlling, insensitive person? They get married. And I've really, I've seen that happen over and over. Thank you for joining me for session four. Session five is going to be on how boundaries are developed. And it's really interesting. So I hope you will join me.